Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Week two of Plugged In. A national soccer podcast live and direct from the tall tower of the Tennessean. I'm Drake Hills alongside Jaime Cardenas and Nick Gray. Producer Nick and David Beckham's one-time bar to go up. We're back and in the building. Now, we first want to just settle the score first and make sure that everyone knows that um, our thoughts are with those who are affected by the Tennessee tornadoes um, on Tuesday that went through um, overnight and affected um, so many people, homes lost, uh, lives lost as well. We just want to make sure that um, we acknowledge you all. And also the National SC players and everyone else who's a part of this Middle Tennessee Music City community. Uh, David Akam was the first to go public with the damages to his condo. Uh, went out on Twitter and talked about and showed that pretty much his entire condo was essentially shredded. Everything, a lot of things on the floor damaged, windows shattered, blinds completely deliberated. It was, it was, it was a lot to, to take in. But there were a lot of people who were affected greatly, and, and even more than that. And as I said before, who lost their lives. So we just wanted to start with that, and we will move on from there. Nashville SC training on Tuesday was canceled. They are off today, and some of those players are using this Wednesday to volunteer their time with Red Cross, specifically Eric Miller, reserve goalkeeper Elliot Panico, among the two of many of National SC players who are volunteering their time to help out with today's tragedies. I was a news reporter for a day. So that was interesting to learn more about what is going on with folks who are trying to get their power back. They went from over 50,000 people without power in the greater Nashville area to just under 43,000. So that was an interesting angle. Everyone's got to play their role. And Nashville SC has got to continue. You know, they got a game Sunday at Portland Timbers, 6 o'clock Central Time at Providence Park. Now, before we fully move forward, I just want to say that, you know, having worked in soccer before, one of the great things about the soccer community, the worldwide community, is just how tight it is and how when a soccer club really succeeds, it's when it integrates itself with the community. You see that in Portland here in the U.S. or Seattle. You see it in other many clubs across the world. So it's good to see Nashville SC and Eric Mill and other players really playing their part and trying to help out those affected. And many of these players are living within these same communities. So as I mentioned, David Akam, who lives, I believe, in the um, towards the East Nashville area. Eric Miller lives over there. Daniel Rios lives over there, among many other players who are a part of these communities. So um, it's not just you know players coming into Nissan Stadium uh, 16 or 17 Saturdays in MLS season and showing up and saying, hey, we're Nashville. Like They are day-to-day part of this community. So good yeah, stuff. They're really trying to build something and become of something here in the community. That's really great to see. And we saw that a little bit on Saturday. You were there, 59,000. 59,069, I believe, is the number. How was it? That was a lot 
of not only National C fans, but I also witnessed a lot of Atlanta United fans that pulled up. And that's fine. And they were deep in the rivalry, I would say, at least from a home field advantage or um, fan effect on the game was alive on both sides. I think Atlanta United, when they scored that first goal, Ezekiel Barco, a bit of a howler in terms of you know the defensive miscommunication between David Akam and Eric Miller on that right-hand side, both when Eric Miller left and went to go pick up, I believe that was Jack Mulraney, or was that P.T. Martinez? Uh, either way, he left Ezekiel Barco, who was dashing about 10 yards outside of the the uh, the penalty box, and David Akam did not know what was going on, and then Ezekiel Barco scores the first goal not even 30 minutes into the match. So what was it McCarty and Godoy as well who on that first initial pass by Atlanta kind of got sucked to, up, right? To yeah, to to turn the ball over, there was a miscommunication there, but I think even with that, you could have recovered. Eric Miller could have gotten that. He could have stopped that goal. And same thing with David Akam. And same thing with even, you know, the the rest of that backline cuz it wasn't as if it was a breakaway opportunity. National SC was was fairly deep. They were sitting fairly deep. It was just the fact that, I mean, I couldn't have, I couldn't have like hit Ezekiel Barco with my hand. He was not in arm's length away from anyone in gold. So he pretty much had a training session opportunity to get one past Joe Willis. Uh, but of course, minutes later, National SC first ever goal, Walker Zimmerman, the last player to come into camp. Pretty much a record fee. A guy who someone that it shall not be named wanted to predict was going to be National SC's first goal. But I mean, I don't the know fact who of the matter is. is the fact of the matter is this person who who, who which person are you? I'm talking glad about? that person didn't because yeah. that's the easy pick. Yeah, I but mean, it's I think, also I think the all easy of us, pick. Also, it's, all it's, of us could have chosen Walker Zimmerman. But Anyone it's worthy to been. pick that he chose. It's worthy to know that he chose Dave Romney to be the first a month before. Walker okay, Zimmerman was I, even I, a part of the franchise. I said, I, I'm the one who said that Honey Mukhtar was going to be the first one to score a goal. And that was on the 21st or 22nd oh, of January. Oh, yes. The number 10 who is the star of the team. That was really going out on a I mean, a penalty. He was taking penalties in preseason. So. He, he had a nice cross. He he had a good cross to uh, oh, he, he did, to definitely. Zimmerman. Who kind of bullied know, bullied his way exactly. into yeah. the ball. So, so let's, and let's then not, was still able to, to get it on the sort of bounce. The, exactly, the and frames. let's not let's not negate the fact that he was the one who, as you said, played that cross in. And there's one thing: if you don't score, what do you do? You get an Are assist. Are you trying to get an assist for that projection? I'm just saying. I'm just saying, man. That was my pick. I was the closest. It was good. I was the closest. Overall um, impressions, first impressions. Overall impressions, promising from Nashville SC. I think going forward, as you will see, we should probably plug in our interview at this time. Uh, good transition a little bit, a little bit of a detour. Um, Jeff Carlisle from ESPN will be our special guest for today. And he's going to be talking about the matchup as well as Nashville SC's. He was here for the opening MLS game debut. as well. He was here. He was also in and around Nashville. A lot of soccer dignitaries were here. Yeah, absolutely. He got a chance to take a look at the Backline Collective and got a chance to talk with the supporters, got a chance to talk with Gary Smith and some of the Nashville SC front office. He got his whole Nashville taste of what's going on here in terms of Major League Soccer. So he'll be talking a little bit about that and what Nashville C will be going forward. Back to discussion. Um, my impression of Nashville C was that they have a lot going for them in the middle of the park. I think 
when you take a look at Dax McCarty and Anibal Godoy making sure that things are going well in terms of having the ball and being able to pick out passes and know those pockets where they can exploit the defense, I think that they're going to do well in that regard. In the back, I think Dave Romney and Walker Zimmerman is a tremendous center back pairing. I think Daniel Lovitz and Eric Miller still need a little bit of work with their partnership with David Akam up front and Ronald Leal up front. But overall, I think there's a promising group, but I am concerned about what is on the table, so to speak, going forward in that attacking third. Who's going to be scoring the goals? It's going to be the question of the season until they answer. I, I, I think I was actually optimistic more so about how Dominic Baji played. I thought he was active up front. He didn't... So he didn't. Well, he wasn't able to finish any of the opportunities. He but I thought didn't get the ball enough that I I think he should have gotten the ball at least t- t- double. He as, was double as much as he did in that first half. More so than almost anybody, I thought he was as effective as anyone on Nashville SC's front. That is interesting that forward you say that. side that forward half of the of the formation. That I thought Dominique Baji. You think he was better than David Akam? I do think he was at you're, you're, on, with his with his foot on the ball. Now I think David, David Akam obviously did some some good things off the ball and was, tr- was getting into good, uh, good areas that Baji ball in the second, in the second half. half to a calm that was just out of reach. I really thought that that was, you, you could see that coming and David, Akam did a really good job of getting in the right place there, but I was really pleasantly surprised. I've seen Dominic Baji play before, but I was, I was pleasantly surprised to see how he played so well with the, with the ball on his foot. Yeah, twelve touches though in that first half. Like you're, I don't. You're not going to be able to do. I mean, how many crazy touches, damage? How many touches did Ronald Leal and David Akam and Hani Mukhtar well, have in the David second? David Akam had the big, not not half. much. He didn't have much more than sure. that. He probably had like seventeen touches. They, in that first they didn't half. have the ball enough in in the, the attacking third to really make much of a but a dent there Mukhtar in the first half. Did, Leal did. Godoy did. Dax did. And I tweeted about how I thought there's the, what they were doing mostly in the first 45 minutes to an hour, a lot of solo play and not a lot of team work link up play. I thought as I the that game gets better with oh yeah time. absolutely. I thought as the game got on as as they pushed and Atlanta United kind of settled back and like all right we got to hunker down and make sure we don't allow a goal to be scored here. I thought they did better with that. Alan Wynn was impressive, I thought. In terms Alan Wynn was a surprise making, of the match. Making that's just my that's my take on that. Yeah, ma- making my things out of, of the match. My surprise of the match. The fact that Joe Willis did not get a red card—that <laughs> is a complete Joe shocker. Willis, Joe Willis, pretty Shout much. Out, I Joe. mean, a goalkeeper. Pretty. He was probably about five yards away from the mid from the. Uh, from the midfield line. No, nah, yeah. And who he ran some, fast. Someone tried to that, chip. Yeah, he he pulled Emmanuel Neuer. That's what he did. Yeah. He 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 dipped like he went from he went ran off his line. Oh, hey. I think somebody should clock that forty. Walk, walk, that was a good forty. <laughs> that, he, yeah, he, walk, maybe he was inspired by the combine. Walker Zimmerman. Yeah, he was inspired by the combine. Walker Zimmerman and Dave Romney. I think one of them would have been able to make a recovery run, but I mean, just to be sure, he basically had a, a Dikembe Mutombo swat on the ball, pretty much he in was the midfield pretty near the circle. And yeah, he hands was. Up. Yeah. yeah, and he got booked for it. Yeah, he did. He got booked for it, but everyone, that was pretty much a topic of discussion, like a delayed debut hangover type of conversation in terms of should Joe Willis have gotten sent off at that moment for. And to be fair, did it really matter there at the end? I I didn't, I, at the time, I didn't care about it. I mean, (laughs) 
Let's ask. Let's ask Barco. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fair. He would have lied a shot. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure I mean, he would have wanted to get a get a double on the it day. It was in, it was an extra time, if I remember correctly. Somewhere around. Yeah. Time. So I mean, there's three four minutes left, if that. And I think you know he probably should have been sent off. It wasn't going to affect the game either way. It was either going to be two to one or three to one. Agents and Dallas would have got a, his MLS debut or. Yeah, he would have yeah, been, been his MLS debut. He, I don't he think he's ever. I think he had. Do you not have one? I think he may have played once at uh, Sporting. Nashville SC debut. We'll keep it right yeah. there. Here's here is the things that I did like the atmosphere, which I was the only. You did since, or you didn't? I it did. was tremendous. Yeah, right. and, but since we're talking about predictions and all these things, yeah. I did predict them to break the state record. Um, oh gosh, two, he, he was right. I, I, I was. We right. will admit that. Yeah, unfortunately, two. I, I did. Will admit it. I like some of the traditions that they're building. I did enjoy the the guitar rift. I enjoyed the. I think one of the coolest things is the record of the highlights that goes up to the player of the match. The vinyl thing that is really a cool tradition they're with, building with the Nashville SC logo on there. That was awesome. The yeah. vinyl was dope. Yeah, I the think the, vin- the vinyl was probably my favorite part outside of. The actual no, I think game that is played. phenomenal. I mean, when we think about sort of the cool traditions in MLS, and we think about Timber Joey and chopping down some wood for the player of the games, or, right. and all these other things, people that score goals and and shutouts. That is a cool thing to have the highlight in a vinyl. That's very natural. I really appreciate. I like the that. riff too. Yeah. The guitar riff pregame. I think that's excellent. One thing I would like to see though, if they were to add anything, is like if when you do score a goal. Does somebody come out with a Gibson guitar and go go crazy on a guitar? Or is it some type of performance on the big screen like they do at Preds games? Is it something? Shout out to the game ops who needs to figure that out. There, that suggestion from Drake Hills. Yeah, just a little bit going there, but hey, we're gonna move on and talk no, about. I did want to give oh, out one not, more. Uh, Soccer Moses. Oh, Soccer Moses, man, was of the one match. Of the that he was the man of the match. Y'all are basic. basic. Y'all are basic people. Soccer Moses, man. You can't, you can't appreciate greatness. I didn't I say it was you. bad. I'm just saying like it wasn't, oh my gosh, that's Nashville. That's the South. Nah. What that, better perfect pairing than religion and soccer? Yes, for South. sure. Let for my sure. people that's go. Some, <laughs> How can you beat that? You guys are basic. But I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it focused here because I want to continue on with the topic of discussion as we promise our listeners because we are not going to sit here and talk for 60 minutes about what happened off the pitch. We have a game. We have a game to preview. Brody's, please help us out and tell us what you really want us to talk about on the pitch, off the pitch, both. Okay. Well, first we should just end on, we, you said what you liked. Yeah. What did you not like from the debut producer? Nick, what did I not like? What do you not like? I didn't. I, I said it before. The solo play in the first hour, I did not like. I, I'm not saying that's terminal in terms of what Nashville SC can do later on in the in the season, but I do hope that gets fixed sooner rather than later, so they can, you know, because this is going to have to be a team effort to score goals. It's not going to be Dominic Baji scoring. Yep. 15 go- goals. goals. David Akam may score 10 goals, but let's be honest here. Yeah, he goes with David Akam. <laughs> the, attacking, the attacking third. I agree the, with the, they're going to have to kind of do it as a, as a unit, and they need, really need to work on making sure that they create for each other instead of trying to create for themselves because that's going to be the way that they're going to get points in the first six weeks. I think it's going to be a lot of – 1-0, 2-0. I think clean sheets are going to be big for this team. And that's going to be very hard for an MLS expansion team. I have one more thing that I, I don't 
I don't want to say that I think it's going to happen often, but to see the two goals kind of happen in a, in a way in which attention wasn't quite paid to a, for a couple of things. You had the, the offside that wasn't on the second goal. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the miscommunication on the first goal. You have to tip I, your hat to that, to that second goal. Emerson. Oh Heinemann. yeah, definitely. Emerson Heinemann half volley top, right? Definitely. But, but in terms of the attention that you pay to those kind of things, I don't want those kinds of goals that kind of just happen. You feel like you don't have any control on, over it, even though you do. I don't want that to become a thing that Nashville SC ends up conceding more often than not. I, my dislike would be that first goal. And it's a it's a temporary dislike because that was their first ever game. That was a situation where it is solely based off of miscommunication. Because Eric Miller is a sound defender and David Akam is also someone who can track back. And in that situation, as I said earlier, there was no... There was nobody near Ezekiel Barco, no. and that's just that's just something that, as a professional, even in MLS, that you won't see that often. And so, maybe we look maybe four months from now, and you're basically on the back end. You're on, you're rolling downhill in the season. That connection, that communication, I expect to be there for Nashville SC, and that goal won't happen. So that goal is this, that game is essentially a one-one, and someone needs to to go for a game winner. You still at that need point. quality. On the other end, to put that away, and credit goes to Ezekiel Barco on that goal. Oh, absolutely! And I mean, to, like you said, Hyman. On I don't think Joe Willis. I don't think Joe Willis made a touch on that. And then, yeah, that Hyman goal. It's it was, it was almost good. impossible yeah. for Joe Willis to touch any, right. either one of those. Right. Yeah. And I'll say, even though we're kind of being critical of Eric Miller there on that first goal, I thought given all the attention Atlanta United paid to that side for yeah, the, that the first was hour, on the far side a lot. They, I thought he did a solid job in not allowing tons of opportunities. Now, I would say Atlanta's two best opportunities win the back of the net. Yep. But the only two shots on goal for Atlanta. There you go. And so, so Four it wasn't, shots on goal it wasn't something where he was really kind of really struggling. He kind of just was studied it out. I thought. I don't know. I know. I know. You guys might think differently. No, I. I think. Part of the reason for that, I think there was tired legs on Atlanta. Uh, this is the third game after preseason ended. Two of them were CCL games. And Joseph Martinez's injury just knocked the wind out of them. And knocked the wind out of, I think, the whole league this weekend. That right? is unfortunate. Joseph yeah. Martinez, the Atlanta United striker, out with an ACL. So his season is pretty much... Uh, no, but yes. I mean, the timeline on ACL injuries are six to nine months. Uh, the, the one of the recent examples. So playoffs. August. September. Yeah, Labor September, Day, I would September. say, would be a yeah, good September. target. So the, one of the examples that I can I can put out there is Omar Gonzalez's injury. Um, he suffered that uh, an ACL injury the 2011, I think it was. With the LA Galaxy? Uh, with the LA Galaxy. Uh, after we had... After they after the team had won their first championship, uh, heading into the second year or of the back to back, Omar goes on loan to Bayern Munich and tears his ACL uh, while on loan. The training uh, comes back, and and he ends up coming back about six months after that injury. He and I looked that up, and it was I think around August or so that he came back. No, July. He came back in July, and was able to be. You know, slowly integrated and made a big. He was a, the complete starter and a big part of that playoff run for that Galaxy team. So, if Martinez is able to stick to that timeline of six to nine months, he would be back with enough time to get his fitness back in time for the playoffs, where he can do some damage. 
Yeah, we'll see what Jeff has to say. Not necessarily about uh, Martinez's injury, but Nash SC's matchup with Atlanta United, how they fare against recent MLS expansion teams. He bring he brings it back all the way to when MLS expansion really got going in, maybe like 15 years ago. And he also talks a little bit about what Nashville C will look like against Portland on Sunday. Take a look. Jeff Carlisle, ESPN, uh, the soccer correspondent, all the way out from the Bay Area. He's checking in. Uh, but Jeff, of course, you know, you've, you've been to Nashville SC's debut in MLS against Atlanta United last weekend, as we mentioned earlier. Jeff, how are we doing? How are we doing well? You know, finally made it back home uh, after about a week on the road, but uh, it was a good trip, and uh, I had a great time in your city, and obviously uh, reaching out to a lot of people over the last few days just to make sure they're okay after the tornado. So, um, you know, my, my thoughts are certainly with everyone that's, uh, that's been affected by that. Absolutely, Jeff. We we appreciate your concerns, and also we are glad that you're back safe. Uh, as we we talked off the air about your travel in the lead up, of course, down here in Nashville, the lead up to Nashville SC's first ever MLS match last weekend against Atlanta United was a week's worth of events, uh, not only for for the media but also for the club. And then it sounds like on your side you had a little bit of a tour yourself. Yeah, I talked to quite a few people. Uh, talked to people in the roadies and um, also the uh, Brigada de Oro. Um, you know, that happened on game day. Uh, talked to people from Stand Up Nashville about uh, the, the community benefits agreement that's, uh, that was negotiated with the team and also talked to uh, the Save Our Fairgrounds folks. So uh, I met with a lot of people in the time that I was there. So, Jeff, the... Uh... We wanted to first get your perspective on Nashville SC's first game. You've been to expansion team games before, or their debuts anyway. First and foremost, was there something that stu- stood out to you in terms of Nashville SC's first game, or was it something regular like any other MLS expansion team? Well, I think anytime you get 59,000 people in the stands, that's not like any other expansion team for sure. Um, I can't remember what it, I think Atlanta had maybe 55. That's right. I, I know that uh, when they played at Bobby Dodd, they, they, they drew a good crowd. Uh, but I still think that's, uh, that's, that's something to be noted and, and something for the team and the city to be proud of. Um, you know, it was a good atmosphere and, you know, the people stood the whole time and, and the roadies and the, and, the, and the rest of the supporters groups uh, that, were, that were involved, I mean, they, 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 they made some, some great noise uh, for the duration of the game. So, um, you know, for me, it was, it was just really impressive how everything came together. Um, obviously, there was some tension uh, between the team and the mayor and the run-up to that relating to, to the stadium project. Um, but, you know, that got sorted out. And, you know, just in talking to people, I, I think it um, – it gave some momentum, you know. Once once that was decided, and you know, and once that that dispute, if you will, came out into the open, I think it kind of galvanized people and, and got them to say, "Hey, you know, this is our city, and and this was a deal that we struck, and we're we're going to support this." So, um, so I thought that was really impressive as well. You know, in terms of the what happened on the field, uh, that looked a lot like a lot of other expansion teams I've seen. Um, I think. You know, defensively, I think Nashville was was pretty sound, but I, I just think there was a lack of cohesion and 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 maybe even a lack of quality. You know, in the attacking third, and you know, I think some decent chances were created, 
But um, and I think you know I saw some good things out of Randall Leal and Hani Mukhtar, but I you know I think especially in the forward position, there, you know, Mike Jacobs and, and Gary Smith need to have their eyes open on um, you know how they can bolster that front line. Yeah, when you talked about the on the field product for Nashville. I mean, they went up against an Atlanta side that would had two shots, two total shots, and both of them ended up being goals uh, in terms of what was happening on the other end of the pitch. But when it comes to this Nashville attacking third, do you think that where Nashville is on the field and the buildup to what everyone was talking about in terms of their concern of that attacking third, do you think that will break eventually? Do you think Nashville will have a turning point where they could – either acquire another DP that it happens to be a number nine or a 10 or someone who can create and score chances for them? Or do you think there's someone in the squad already who's going to do that for them? You know, I think they're going to have to look outside, outside the team, um, or at least look outside what they currently have. You know, in talking to, to Jacobs and Smith, I mean, it seems like they want to give every opportunity to, to the guys that they have. And I think from a, kind of a team-building, team chemistry standpoint, that, that makes some sense. But, uh, and so, you know, we'll see what transpires. I mean, the, the transfer window doesn't close until beginning of May. So, I mean, there's, there's some time to assess and, and some time to, to also, you know, you know, utilize their scouting network and, and see what's available for them. But I, I think ultimately, you know, just given the, the track record of, of Dominic Baji, um, you know, I think he. You know, they're going to have to at some point, you know, look outside and, and, and bring someone in. Especially when you think about the money that's being spent on attacking talent in this league. Um, you know, I think about a, a Luis Zelarayan from from Columbus. I mean, that is the kind of investment I think that they're going to have to make. Now, granted, Zelarayan is a creator. He, he's not a he's not a goal scorer per se. Even even though I, I think it was him that got on the score sheet last weekend, but. Um, you know, I, I just do think they're they're going to need to to really invest a little bit more at the forward position, um, and and then see what they have. So, uh, you know, I can understand why Jacobs and Smith are saying the things that they're saying, but you know, like I said, I, I do think they're going to have to 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 look at the world market and then see what's available and try to bring someone in. Now we're talking with Jeff Carlisle, soccer correspondent for ESPN. Now, Jeff. I- We've gone through what was off the field and, of course, the 59,069 attendance record, the best attendance record in Tennessee history for a pro soccer game. And then we just capped off uh, by talking about what's going on on the field for Nashville SC. Now, if we were to combine the soccer product for Nashville SC as an MLS expansion team and we were to use your experience, you know, being able to take a look at the expansion teams that you've been able to cover over the years – can you bring us back into your first experience of MLS expansion and bring us towards the present, comparing those teams up to how Nashville SC, its total soccer product, uh, basically debuted uh, last Saturday? Wow. I mean, I would, I would have to go back, I mean, to 2005 when, when Chivas USA and, and Real Salt Lake came into the league. And those were bad teams. I mean, if you, teams in the Western Conference were loving life that season because, I mean, that was easy pickings in terms of points. And um, if, if, you, if you gave up points, I mean, it was, you know, something that raised an eyebrow. I mean, those teams just were not that competitive. Achievers USA in particular was 
You know, they had this notion that they could grab these, these journeymen from the Chivas system in Mexico and bring them up here, and somehow that was going to work. And that was just a disaster. So, I mean, in terms of the philosophy, in terms of the, the quality of player that was, that was on show back then, I mean, granted, that was 15 years ago. So, um, you know, I think, you know, what Natural SC is, is putting out is, you know, light years beyond that. I mean, I even think about when the, the Quakes returned in 2008, I believe. Um, you know, that was a team that, I mean, in some ways it, it, it's similar. The, 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 the San Jose team then and the national team now are similar in that they really tried to build from the back. And it wasn't until the, the summer transfer window, at least in San Jose's case, that they, they got some, some better attacking pieces. I mean, I don't know if you remember the name of Darren Huckerbee, but he came in and, and really you know, gave the team a boost and, uh, and made them a lot more competitive. But, again, I, I think, you know, even if there are similarities in style, I, I still think, you know, Nashville is <laughs> much further ahead than, than where that team was. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I think Nashville will, will be competitive. I mean, listen, I mean, to play Atlanta United in your first game, I mean, that, that is a tough assignment, and especially when Atlanta United with Joseph Martinez. So, um you know, it's you know, it's it's not even close. You know, when you think back ten years ago or so, the the quality of teams that were out there, um, you know, and, and what you know, comparing that to what Atlanta had. So, um, you know, I I think Nashville can do some damage. Um, you know, we'll see how deep a team they have over the course of the season. I mean, defensively, I think they're good enough that they'll always be in games. Um, but again, it's it's about you know being able to get some goals scored and. Uh, you know, we'll see, you know, how they proceed down that path in terms of improving that part of the squad. Jeff, you talked about Atlanta a little while. And you touched on someone like Joseph Martinez. And, of course, for Atlanta United, when Joseph came um, to Atlanta from Torino, uh, obviously he's a player that didn't have any MLS experience beforehand. Uh, same thing with LAFC when they brought in Carlos Vela. They brought in some other key players that didn't necessarily have the MLS experience Nashville has that MLS experience with someone like Dax McCarty, someone like Walker Zimmerman, Anibal Godoy. He's been in MLS since 2015. He's got uh, Nashville has got you know some other players like Daniel Lovitz and Eric Miller. They've got the MLS experience. But what about the players who are making their season debut? You mentioned Randall Leal. Uh, what about Hani Mukhtar? What did you think from uh, guys like that in their first MLS game? And what do you predict how they perform in their first season? You know, in the case of Mukhtar, overall, I, I liked what I saw. I mean, I think he's got—he's a guy that clearly knows what he's doing. Um, you know, he's got showed some good skill on the ball. Uh, but I, one thing that, that kind of concerned me was, and I noticed this late in the first half, was a couple times he, you know, Baji kind of flared out wide, and and Mukhtar took up like a central position amongst the center backs with his back to goal, and I just remember thinking, okay, that's not really where you want Hani Mukhtar to be. And so I think that was a little bit of frustration. I mean, you know, certainly a player like that, you know, he's going to have to try to find the game a little bit. Um, you know, he's going to have to try to find those pockets where he, where he can get the ball and then do some damage. But I think playing that far forward really doesn't play to his strength. So I, I think it's going to require a bit of patience on his part, you know, so that this team can develop some chemistry, can come together. These guys can begin to learn each other's tendencies. Um, so I, 
I just think, again, it's, patience is going to be key for, for Mukhtar. And, uh, you know, then I, then I think he has, that he definitely has the potential to come good. I mean, Leal showed some things, too. Uh, obviously, you know, technically he's, he's pretty sharp, um, very mobile. Um, but, again, it's, you know, it was kind of hard. You could, you could see how, how Leal and Mukhtar, you know, it's, it's still early days and, and kind of forming their relationship and their understanding of each other. So I think that will only get better over time. Um, but, again, I think uh, they need some help. And I, I just think there's no getting around that. And with those two players, I thought, even from my perspective, I was seeing like Randall Leal especially was in the early portion of that second half and maybe a little bit at the end of that first half. He seemed to not be completely involved in the game. I mean, even I think it was that entire attacking third. I and mean, Dominic Baggio only had 12 touches in that first half. But particularly with Randall Leal, someone who is – very able to take players on one-on-one, create chances down the left flank. Uh, someone like Mukhtar, who's used to having the ball at his feet, you know, basically pulling the strings and starting things uh, in the attacking third. It seemed like with those two players, they were in and out of the game. Is that is that simply a adjustment to MLS, as you said, or is that something that is also you have to take into account the fact that there's a new team as well? Uh, does the expansion team effect kind of hinder their progress and their adjustment to MLS. It does, but I, I think there's a third component as well on that they're playing a good team. I mean, Atlanta United is, it is proven that they're one of the elite teams in the league. And so, you know, they're always uh, going to pose problems at both ends of the field for, for opponents. Um, you know, certainly in transition, they were very dangerous. And, um, you know, I do think the game state, you know, the actual score of the game had, had, something to do with how the game played out. I think, you know, Atlanta, you know, maybe under Tata Martino, Atlanta would have exposed themselves a little bit in the game like that. But under Frank DeBoer, I mean, he has made it clear that, um, you know, defensive structure and, and safety are, are paramount. And so, you know, I think there was, last year for that team, there was a little bit of, of uh, you know, disgruntlement within the ranks about playing that way. But, but that is DeBoer's style. And so, uh, so I think that has something to do with it as well. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Atlanta did, did look pretty sharp. You know, I mean, you know, Gary Smith talked about the shots and, you know, they created some good chances and, you know, uh, Nashville did hit the post there in the second half. Um, but, I, I mean, it, it just struck me that Atlanta was looking pretty secure and uh, even though maybe they didn't have as much of the ball in the second half as they did in the first, you know, I thought... Uh, you know, they, they looked pretty solid. And so uh, and it, it probably helped them, too, that they had those two Champions League games to play and, and begin to work out some of the early season kinks. So, I, you know, I think you're correct to say that it's a little bit expansion, you know, a little bit getting to know one another. But, you know, sometimes it's, you know, the, the opponent plays a big factor in that as well. And I think that was the case here. Nashville's next opponent is Portland Timbers. It's another team who obviously have had success in recent years. But in terms of you know, we're keeping it here in MLS this season. They did take that 3-1 loss to Minnesota United over the weekend, and it was a, of a similar drop-off in the attacking third for Portland. Uh, Diego Valeri, Gio Savarese, the head coach with the Timbers, they did admit that they were uh, not forthcoming. They didn't necessarily do their job in, in finding those chances and uh, making sure that they were converting uh, in their scoring opportunities. And that same thing with Nashville what do you think is going to happen 
in Portland at Providence Park on Sunday? Well, I think in Portland's case, um, you know, they just they need to be wary of, of getting hit in transition. I mean, I think Minnesota did a really good job of that. Um, but I think Portland kind of made it easy. You know, I mean, their, their fullbacks were pushing way up the field, and, you know, there was a lot of space uh, for Minnesota to exploit. So um, I think that's something that, that Nashville needs to be on the lookout for. You know, if they can catch the Timbers in, in kind of a, a wonky, exposed shape, um, you know, then guys like Leal and, and Mukhtar can do some damage. Um, you know, and, and obviously Baji, you know, he might not be the greatest finisher in the league, but he is a mobile guy. And, and you know, certainly if you give him some space and, and on the counter, you know, that's, you know, he's a good enough player to exploit that. So you know, that's one thing that I would look out for. I mean, obviously, you know, Gio Savarese is going to look at the game tape and, and you know, move to, to correct uh, some of the defensive deficiencies that his team had. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that's, that's something that for Nashville to be mindful of, you know, whether they can really, you know, get out, you know, in transition and then use some of their attacking talent. Jeff, in terms of Nashville's overall schedule, were you, you know, what's your prediction on how they're going to fare in the MLS Western Conference? I mean, it's tough. I mean, I think regardless of the conference that they ended up in, it would would have been tough no matter what, but... Um, I think it's just, it's, it's a very competitive conference, you know, from, from top to bottom. I mean, you look at, I think Vancouver is really, you know, kind of the only really weak team, I would say, uh, in the conference. I mean, I think every other team is going to be really, really competitive. And you look at teams like Colorado, who I think have improved themselves quite a bit, um, I think you look at, I mean, Kansas City, I think, is going to be way better this year. I think last year was, was an anomaly. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's just going to be very, very difficult. I mean, you know, we'll see what happens with San Jose. I think, you know, they didn't, San Jose didn't really do a lot to improve their team. They're, they're, I think they're banking on the fact that a second year under Matias Almeida, you know, is going to, to be enough to kind of get them in the playoffs. I'm, <laughs> I'm a little skeptical of that approach, quite frankly. Hmm. Um, but I think again, if you if you look at the the Western Conference standings, there are just an awful lot of really really good teams, and um, you know I, I think Salt Lake is, is another team that, that could struggle. Um, you know, Houston's obviously in transition uh, in terms of you know a new regime under Todd Ramos, but again, I think there are just an awful lot of good teams. I mean, Minnesota's looked sharp. Obviously, LAFC are the big favorites. Um, I think the Galaxy, you know, Galaxy got a good road point, and you know, we'll see how long it takes Chicharito to kind of settle in. But you know, I, I guess it's a long-winded way of saying Nashville has got a tough, tough road ahead of them in that conference. I mean, a lot of good teams with a lot of good attacking pieces, and so um, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's you know, life for for Nashville isn't going to be that much different than a lot of other expansion teams. I think they'll be better than Minnesota was. Um, but obviously uh, not nearly as prolific as, as LAFC was. So, I mean, I think they're going to fall somewhere in the middle of you know, how expansion teams typically fare. I, you know, I don't see them as a playoff team, but you know, things can change you know, quite drastically between now and the end of the transfer window and then when the summer window opens as well. So, um, you know, like you said, I think they've got a lot of experience and some good defensive pieces, guys who have been around the block like McCarty and Godoy, 
but uh, it's all about scoring goals, really. And, um, you know, again, I, I know I keep harping on this, but I, I think that's, that, that's, a, that's a big area where, of improvement that, that Nashville needs to address. Jeff Carlisle, soccer correspondent columnist for ESPN. We appreciate it, Jeff, you know, for talking with us and uh, having a good insight on what Nashville SC are going to be looking like uh, this year. And also on Sunday, it's next game. We appreciate it, Jeff. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeffrey Carlisle. Uh, he's got everything going nationally, but uh, hopefully he'll get back to Nashville soon. Right, Jeff? Absolutely. Can't wait to get back. Good deal. Thank you. Hey, thanks very much. Thank you, Jeff Carlisle from ESPN. Um, you know, that's some tremendous insight on how Nashville SC has gone in terms of expansion leading up to its first game and what they could potentially look like in the rest of the season. He also talked a little bit about this Portland Timbers matchup Sunday, ESPN. Prime time. At one of the best places Providence to Park? watch an MLS game. Providence Park. It's major. It's big up there. Timbers Army will be in numbers. And I look forward to talking with Nashville SC tomorrow. That will be the day of this podcast drop. I'll be at training. I'm going to be asking a couple of players about how they feel about absorbing such an atmosphere at Nissan Stadium such a big record, and then one week later going to one of the best atmospheres and playing against a team who has the home field advantage. Can I, uh, no. with a lazy no. take? No, you can't. A lazy take on what my concern is for this match? Go for it. Well, uh, Portland lost 3-1 to one at three home one Minnesota. at home against Minnesota United can, last week. Can you see them giving up points in their first two home matches to two teams that probably aren't among the elite in MLS? There's a good chance that not only will Portland score goals, but I think they're going to be a lot more, I mean, I should say a lot less sloppy because Minnesota United was able to counterattack them like crazy, which is something Adrian Heath put in a little bit last year. I think that helped get Minnesota into the playoffs. Minnesota United is a, is a, Minnesota is an interesting side. And Portland, talking with Jeff as we heard earlier was, you know, they got beat on that counterattack, and I think that's going to be a wake-up call for this Portland Timbers team. So, uh, on the road in their second game, Jaime, do you even think that they're going to, do you think Nashville is going to score a goal? Do you think they're going to get a goal? No. <laughs> I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to score. No, I, I, I mean, it's, I, I th- no matter the result, I think Portland scores more than Nashville at the end of the, at the, end of the day. Uh, Portland's going to come back with a vengeance. They're a veteran team. They're going to be motivated after that. The worst thing that could have happened to Nashville, even though it's only week two, the worst thing that could have happened to Nashville was for Portland to lose 3-1 on the road. Yeah, but in terms of the actual game, is this – because if you're saying if – you're, if, you're if you're saying that mental this – Mental breakdowns, sloppiness, those right. are not going to happen, and they're going to be back on – But if you're, if you're saying – that they're not going to score, I think I'm looking for your reasoning as to how how will yeah. that fare up against what Portland does. Does Portland put two <clears throat> two past them? Does Portland put three? Does Portland only able to get one? I'm not a gambling man, Drake, but if I were to gamble, I would usually take the under on Nashville scoring a goal right now until they find a score. And, hmm. you know, I think set pieces are going to be key for them scoring a goal. Yeah, I'd love to see them sort of develop uh, – a possession, not a possession, but a confidence leading up where you can really see them scoring on the run of play. And at this moment, you know, even after what we saw in game one, I don't think anyone can literally say that that's, that's in the cards. I totally agree with that. I, I hope 
that we see. The one thing that I'm looking for, and again, I talked about before, seeing that front forward group, I want to see more chances created off of team play. And if we see that, I'll feel really optimistic about the two games coming afterwards, which is Toronto and Columbus, I believe. Those, right. those, those two games, I know Toronto at home at in Toronto is going to be very difficult to to find points, even coming off of this game against Portland. Really, that target is you're at home against Columbus. Be be better then than you were at the end of the Atlanta game, and that's that's a that's going to be a three week process for them. But I think it's possible. I I I personally think it's going to be two nothing Portland. That that would be my prediction. Unfortunately for for a Nashville team who. I think surprised some people in terms of their competency. There were flashes in game one. Oh, yeah. There were flashes, and that was good to see because, you know, while it wasn't a complete package, nobody's expecting a complete package in week for, one. For any team, for much any less team. a franchise, a, a um, expansion team. But those flashes, you want to improve that and see more consistency of that moving forward. I will adhere to producer Nick's 2 0 to Portland prediction. That is. I'm sticking. I'm sticking to that. I'm not gonna waver based on what I see tomorrow. However, I do want to end on this note of the first. Before you get to that, do you think there are gonna be any lineup changes? But I know you haven't been. You you're gonna go out there tomorrow and probably have a better idea of that. But do you think there will be lineup changes? I assume maybe at right back, maybe somewhere up top. No, I think the only change would be Abu Dhabi starting. I don't see Jaleel getting past Dave Romney or Walker Zimmerman in central defense. I think, you know, Daniel Rios, I'm still unsure on what Gary Smith thinks of him in an MLS environment. He did get on the field for his first MLS game on Saturday against Atlanta United. I just don't, I don't think that there's a lot of depth, reliability on who can start the strongest and be able to do better than what the players did on Saturday. I think that 11 is your best 11. Do you want to change my prediction? If Soccer Moses is in Portland, that's Soccer Moses, my guy, is always good for one goal. So it'll be 2 1 if he's there. 2 1 Portland. I can believe believe Soccer Moses being worth at least one, if not one and a half goals. It's just, you know. Throws the line outside. Yeah. There you go. Well, I want to end on the question of how the Tennessee Tornadoes affect Will play in this National C game in their preparation for this Sunday primetime matchup. What, what do you think first, Tommy? It, it, it doesn't help them, uh, clearly. I well, mean, it certainly doesn't the, help, the, but the, how this, big, how, I should say, how big of an effect will it have? Once the game starts, it's not going to matter. So what really hurts them, it's in the preparation. You said you already lost a, a training day. Um, they're they're going to be they're their training focus. Thursday and they're traveling to Friday. They're traveling to Portland Friday and they will be training in Portland on Saturday. Wait, so but they're training Friday before they travel. That's a good question. So regardless of it, they lost at least one day, and in that week, I mean, some a lot of players are trying to help other players. Players were directly affected as we talked during the podcast. Their distraction is going to be evident. Uh, their focus, as in some cases, should be. You know, not necessarily on soccer, but when it starts, you know, it's all going to be there. They're all professionals. They're all, they all know how to put things aside and just focus on soccer. So it really comes down to the preparation. And we talked about a team that showed flashes and really needed to work on a couple things to really put it all together. Losing that one day of practice, in my opinion, is kind of big. I can agree with that, and uh, I, I, it is it is more preparation. I, I mean, once they get to to Portland on Saturday, their their minds are going to be. 
I presume, totally 100% on the game. Um, it's going to be a welcome relief. Sure, absolutely. And you're going to be able to kind of us against the world at, in Portland where uh, you, 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 you understand that you're not going to be favored. People don't think that you can go into Portland and, and grab a point or three. And, and I think that's, that's the kind of thing that can help bond a team together. I would love nothing more than for this to be the unifying thing that brings a team together and have them start to win to get them on a run. I think that because you're right, that could, this is going to be something that can bring them together. It'd, it'd be another emotional weekend in what may even maybe an emotionally filled season, first season for Nashville SC. What do you think about that, Drake? I think there's going to be a factor in terms of how they can adjust and possibly sew up some things that kind of fell out of the wayside um, in the debut. However, I completely agree with what you guys are saying in regards to the game itself. I mean, the atmosphere is certainly going to make sure that they're focused on whatever happens in between those white lines and those 90 minutes. The only thing is what product do they bring to the Portland Timbers on Sunday? That's all we have for today. I'm A. Cardenas, Nick Gray. I'm Drake Hills. I want to give a big shout-out to Jeff Carlisle from ESPN doing a tremendous interview for us and talking with us about Nashville SC, its debut, and how this team will fare in their first MLS season. And Soccer Moses. And whatever Jaime And David Akam. And whatever producer Nick said. Catch us next week. We'll have a breakdown of the Portland Timbers game right here. Plugged in. This is a National Soccer Podcast. Episode 2. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.